before we get started, I want to take the opportunity to talk to you about our partner for this podcast, Famigo, formerly known as BravoPay. Famigo is a marketplace and payment platform for musicians and content creators like streamers, sports influencers, personal trainers, and, well, podcasters. You can create a fan page and set up shop offering physical and digital products as well as premium subscriptions. It's easy to share with others on your social media so that, for the rest of you, can support your favorite creators. Check it out at Famigo.com. I'll leave more info in the description. You're listening to The 80-20 Show, an inside look into the music industry. Hello and welcome everybody to The 80-20 Show. I am your wonderful host, Mike Zimmerlich, and my next guest is Jason Davis, founder of 117 Entertainment. In this interview, we discuss how he stumbled upon writing a hit song to building relationships with the major labels from just looking in a phone book. Honestly, his stories are a prime example of why you need to surround yourself with amazing people. It is my honor and pleasure to give you Jason Davis. Hey, Jason, how are you doing today? Doing great. Thanks for having me on. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks. Thanks for being on. Are you kidding? It was great that your team reached out to me and said, hey, would you like to be on the podcast? And I feel always so special when people start reaching out to me now for being on, on the 8020 show. So I really do appreciate you being here. Yeah, actually, Jesse on our team is actually a fan of your podcast. So uh, he he had reached out to me and asked me if I was interested in doing it. So wow, uh, I did not know that. That's that's yeah. that really me- makes me feel honored. It's you never know, like right, who's listening on the other end and who's paying attention to things. And you know, even with this podcast, it really came about about connecting with people, uh, especially who I wanted to reach out to. And it's been amazing now seeing people now coming out to to us and to be a part of the podcast. It's it's truly amazing. Yeah, c- congratulations on what you guys are building. Oh, thank you, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. So I do want to talk about you, obviously. So um, how how did you get started in music? Were you did you play an instrument when you were younger? How like how did you get involved in music to begin with? Yeah, I mean, it, it was always music for me ever since I could remember, um, you know, had a a Mickey Mouse nylon guitar when I was a little kid and had a little, you know, plastic drum set and wrote my first song with my, you know, best friend across the street when we were, I think, five or six years old. And we, we, we dreamed about starting a band at five or six years old and uh, started my first real band at 13, 14. Um, so pretty young. And we immediately started trying to write songs. And then at 15, um, my cousin was throwing away a guitar and I couldn't believe that she was going to throw it in the garbage. So I took it and I started writing songs on my own. And from 15 to 23, I wrote almost every day. Um, I would say most days I, I picked up the guitar and wrote a little bit, sometimes for hours, um, you know, I'd play and write until you know my my eyes would well up with tears from how much it hurt my fingers when I was younger so it was the writing it was the constantly writing that eventually led me into the business um basically I had always gravitated to friends in high school that played music And um, most of my friends in high school were more talented than me, but they had studio gear 
like and very very minimal studio gear in their parents' houses. A couple of these friends and I wrote a lot more than they did, and they they like to record. So I would record, you know, a couple songs a year to maybe five songs a year. Sometimes I'd record ten songs a year with my friends, and um, over the years it got better. And when I was probably twenty two, I wrote a song that I knew was the best song I ever wrote and I recorded it with a friend and um, I didn't realize this, but he started using it, that song as an example, when people would come over his parents' house. Um, so like if, if, if somebody local came by to record, you know, he would basically say, you know, I can't remember how much he was charging back then, but like, Hey, for 300 bucks, I could do a song for you or, for 500 bucks, I could do a song for you. And he would play my song as the example. Um, hey, I could do this for you. And um, one of the people that was local and stopped by his studio happened to be a keyboard player from a signed band that had just broken up. And the keyboard player was trying to get a solo deal and was trying to shop a deal. So he went into this local studio to record. And when my friend played the example of the song, he, the guy recognized it as like, wow, that's a really good song. Ended up putting it on his demo, um, shopped it to labels. And then a label eventually threw him, tracked me down. I was like, hey, we're not interested in signing the artist, but we really like this song. And it became the first single on um an artist it was many years ago but it was an artist named aaron benward and it became his first single he was signed to emi and the song hit i mean it, it worked on radio and i won a couple of ascap awards for the song and so i mean i i was literally working for a home improvement company um and li literally one day out of nowhere i came home from a hike in my little one bedroom apartment. And there was a message from a record label on my answering machine tape back then. So it was, it was just the years of writing songs um, that, that really was the, the key that opened up the door for me. That's actually, that's amazing. So when you, you writing for all this time, right. Especially that regiment of writing every single day, did you have to, discipline yourself like to making sure that you were writing every single day or was it just naturally just coming to you that you just had so much that you wanted to to write about to express yourself for yeah i mean that that second part is what it was um i my household as a teenager was heavily dysfunctional and there was a lot of abuse going on between my dad and me at the time um thank god later in life me and my dad you know we're, we're on great terms and, but, um, it, it was pretty abusive during my teen years, um, just physical abuse. And, you know, uh, it was very constant abuse. So, um, I had no other outlet. Like when you, you know, when you're a kid, you know, when, when you're 13, 14, 15, 16 years old, and, you know, you're going through something like that with your parent, you know, if you tell an adult, you're afraid that your father will go to jail. And if your father goes to jail, like what happens to your family? Like, do you guys lose every, like, do we lose everything or, you know, cause my 
the, the breadwinners in jail. Um, so I never told an adult. And, you know, if you tell a kid, you know, if you go up to one of your male friends or, you know, and say, hey, I'm getting beat every day. Can I cry on your shoulder? Um, you're going to be an instant loser in school. Um, so there was really no one for me to talk to. And when I got that guitar from my cousin, that guitar became my therapist. It became my girlfriend. It became my best friend. I would cry to it. Um, and, and once I felt the therapeutic nature of what it feels like to create and write a song and have a song come out of you, that is truly like coming from my emotions, like the deepest part of me. Um, it was very, very therapeutic for me. And I became addicted to that therapy of it and, and, and how it would kind of help me release things. Um, and then also too, like when I would have friends back then, you know, it, it was very, I couldn't really tell anybody what was going on, but if I played, if, if you were my friend and we were in high school and you came over my house and we were sitting in my room and I played you a song, you wouldn't know exactly what's going on in my life. But yet, as I played you that song, I felt like I was able to tell you what was going on with me um, and still be safe. Um, so it was really, um, it was like a miracle for me, songwriting. And it was, it was that, that what it was doing for my life is really why I just couldn't stop doing it. Now, you mentioned earlier about the fact that you were in, in bands and um, in the meantime, as you're really getting into writing music. So were you, you know, co-writing with anyone else? Were you writing other songs with people or was it mostly your words that you were that you were writing these songs from? Um, well, yeah, so I, I was in a, a couple of different bands. Um, obviously, we were young, so we were, you know, about as bad as you could ever sound <laughs> yeah uh, but you know we, we were in bands we were and we, we would play shows like we played you know i remember when we were in um when we were in middle school we were playing like you know younger grades schools like you know i forget the name for schools that are under middle school but you know we would always go to like younger schools than where we were like when we were in high school we would play middle schools um and uh we played you know, basements and backyards. And um, we were never good, but, you know, it, it did give me experience like playing some shows and booking some shows and um, knowing what it's like to ha have a microphone in your hand and connect with an audience, which, you know, d definitely gives me some connection point to singers that I work with today. Um, and uh, yeah, so I don't know if that answers that. Yeah, I was I was curious if if you most of the writing that you've done was your own writing or did you even in yeah. your teenage years wrote with other with your friends? Yeah, so so I would say that I wrote maybe out of all the songs I ever wrote, maybe 10% of them were with those those couple of bands I was in and we would collaborate and co-write. And then I would say, you know, 90% of it was me by myself and then there was a couple of situations when I first got into the business that I co-wrote with a few people, you know, um, that were more experienced. But um, once the door opened for me in the music industry, after the first year, I pretty quickly transitioned to management. 
um, I, I was never the best songwriter. I did write that one hit, um, but all I ever wrote was one hit. Um, I never wrote more than one hit. So uh, I did land, I probably landed at roughly six, I think it was maybe six other songs on albums, but they were all, you know, never singles. So I realized pretty quickly, like, songwriting was something I was passionate about, but it didn't come super easy to me. Um, and I knew pretty quickly once I got into the music business that I indeed was not the Michael Jordan of songwriting. Um, so uh, m management is kind of where I headed pretty quickly after that. So when you got that call from that record label mentioning about having that song was that the point that you knew you wanted to pursue a career in the music industry because you were in home improvement at up until that point so was that yeah. was that the the shift or was it or did that come later no that that was the moment i mean i i think it was just the whole experience of it um landing the song on a record and then the record label that same record label quickly picked up a couple other songs i had written so within a matter of 30 days, I landed like maybe 60 days, I landed three songs on albums, you know, and, you know, I mean, obviously that was way more exciting than working my, my day job, you know, and, um, but I think, you know, once the song actually became a hit on the radio, I think that was really where I realized like, wait a second, like, I'm good at this. Like I, I could actually do this. And that was the moment where I gained enough confidence where I was like, you know, I'm really going to go after this. So what made you decide to go into management then? Because uh, you obviously realized at that point in time, that songwriting, you know, that even you got that one hit that might not be the right path for you, but going to representation is a very different part of the music industry. So, yep. you know, cause there's so many, different roles out there even within songwriting itself that you can do so what made you decide to shift over to management well for me my what I, what was exciting to me about landing these songs and it, it was the the conversating with record labels it was somehow getting into record labels i don't know why exactly but it just really excited me you know like i live near new york city and the idea of like trying to and getting meetings with Sony music or Columbia records or Atlantic records. Like the idea was that I needed to get in with people and pitch my songs and really mainly just pitch my songs. But when I was getting into the labels, there was something about walking into record labels, especially back then, because you know, in 1999, 2000, the music industry was exploding and, and or, or at the tail end of an explosion. And, you know, these record labels were exciting buildings to walk into. I mean, there was tons of people going down the halls and music blasting out of hallways. And, and, and probably about five, six, seven years later, I'd go into record labels and you could hear a pin drop in there. But when I first started, it was like, I, I remember the first meeting I ever had in Sony music, like my brains almost exploded. Um, and so there was something like life faltering about walking into these labels for me. Like it boosted my confidence. It, it made me feel like, I don't know, like 
maybe I, I can make it in life or, you know, it just, and so in these meetings, as I'm pitching songs, you know, the labels would tell me like what artists they were working on and, you know, Hey, we're kind of looking for songs like this, or we signed this pop girl. And if you ever have any pop songs that sound like Britney Spears, we just signed this girl, Mandy Moore, and she's going to kind of be like a Britney Spears. So if you have anything, let me know. And something clicked and I was like, okay, if I could find artists to maybe pitch to the label, it could maybe allow me to get into these meetings more. So my whole thing was like, I wanted to figure out a way, like what's a justifiable way to constantly get into somebody's office? Because I, I, I didn't really have any big successes. I mean, obviously, if you have a big success, everybody wants to be your friend. Right. But if you don't have a big success, you're like a beggar trying to figure out how do I build this relationship with this person that doesn't need me. Mm -hmm. And so pitching songs was one way I could get into an office, but also finding an artist was this additional reason I could go call up a vice president of A&R and try to get back in. So I was literally looking for artists, not for management. Like I didn't even, management never crossed my mind because I didn't even know really what a manager did. Um, I mean, I think, you know, maybe back then I didn't even realize artists had managers. Like I was just so new. And so I, the first artist I ever pitched was to this guy named Marvin Peer. I found this girl, Virginia, through somebody I knew. She had a good voice. Um, I wrote some songs with her and I called up this guy, Marvin Peart, who was at the time the senior VP of a r for 550 Music, which was like a label through Sony. And um, it was like Epic Records, too, I think. But I, um, I went into Marvin's office and I pitched this girl, Virginia, to him. I played a, so a song and showed him a photo. And he hated the songs I wrote. He's like, he's like, who wrote these songs are terrible. And I was like, I wrote the songs. And wow. You like, actually openly admitted it. That's, that's very brave. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and, and then he asked me, he's like, so if I was interested in her, what is your role with her? Now, obviously, you know, that if a manager is managing an artist, that doesn't know what they're doing. That's not a good situation for a record label. Um, it, you know, it's like an investor who wants to invest in a pizza place, but the person that's going to, the person that's going to manage the pizza place has never managed a pizza place before. Like that's a pretty bad investment. Right. So th this is like a total miracle. Um, so I'm talking to Marvin in his office and he goes, what would your role be if, if I was interested in her? And I said, I don't know, like, what should my role be? And he goes, well, are you her manager? And I said, no, but like, should I be her manager? And he goes, do you want to be her manager? And I said, I don't know. I mean, if you think I should be her manager, I'll be her manager. And he goes, you know what? I think you should be her manager. And, and I was like, okay. And so- <laughs> wow. I walked out of Sony music that day, 20, probably, probably 23 years ago. And I hit the streets of New York outside the building, the Sony building. And I just was like, 
I guess I'm a manager. And then I spent the next, you know, several years not being very good at it, you know, and, and, uh, you know, so that's, that's how I transitioned. So, you know, that's amazing. And also the other thing too, is that the, when you also are trying to build a business of any kind, right? I mean, there's, you're right. It's something very exciting about, um, even to this day about, you know, walking into, you know, Atlantic or Sony or, you know, or Warner or any of the major companies. Right. But, mm-hmm. you know, I'm sure a lot of people are listening like, well, well, how did, how did you do even that? Right. Like, how did you get to the point of, of even getting a response back from, you know, from a phone call? Yeah. So, so what, I, what I did is, um, uh, cause I didn't really know anybody. So what I did and it's going to probably sound really, really silly and dumb, but that's, I was pretty dumb back then. But um, the only thing I could think of was uh, all the record label names were on all of the CDs in my CD collection. So I went through my entire CD collection and I wrote down the name of every record label I could find on the right side of the spine of the CD. And I, I had this, you know, on a notepad, a long list of record label names. And I was living in New Jersey at the time. And I thought to myself, I was like, I wonder if any of these record labels would happen to be in New York City. And like, I thought to myself, like, the odds are probably not good that any of them are in New York City, but I'm going to try because I knew nothing. I knew nothing. I, and so I called back then information, what was 411. So I literally called 411 on my phone and this operator answered. And I said, hi, um, is there a Sony music in New York City? And the operator's like, please hold for your number. And I was like, what? Like, they're in New York City. They're an hour and a half away. And, and then I started calling 411. Hey, can I have uh, Atlantic Records in New York City? Please hold for your number. And so I called. The first label I called was Sony Music. And a secretary answered. And she told me, she asked me who I was looking for. And I said, I don't know anybody. And she said, well, but I, I said, I'm looking for like the music department, you know, like, like whoever does music over there. Uh, I didn't even know that there was A&Rs. Like, I didn't even know that name. And so she's like, well, in order for me to patch you through to somebody, you have to give me a name. And uh, she's like, we only accept, you know, pitches or whatever from managers or lawyers. And I said, okay. So I hung up the phone and I thought to myself, I was like, I I thought about it for like the next couple of hours. And I thought to myself, okay, obviously I'm not a lawyer and like, you have to go to college for that. And I didn't go to college for that. So I can't say I'm a lawyer, but, and I started thinking to myself, I was like, is there some sort of rule? Like, who's to say I couldn't manage myself, you know, like, Like, is it, I don't think that that would be like illegal or anything or, and so I called up the next day and I, some secretary answered and I said, you know, from Sony and I said, hi, I'm a manager and I manage, uh, you know, I manage a songwriter. Can can I please talk to, you know, somebody in the music department? And they actually transferred me to A&R and I got, um, I got like, I think I got Marvin Peart's act. I think I got actually got Marvin Peart's voicemail and that's how I knew his name. Like he said, you know, hi, this is Marvin Peart. Leave a message. So I wrote down Marvin Peart 
And then I just started calling and calling and calling and I could never get him. And then one day I just called, I called every single day. And um, I don't know for how long, maybe it was a couple of weeks, but one day I called and it must've been his secretary or something must've been out to lunch or something. But I remember I called and he actually answered his phone. And I, I mean, it was like, I was like in shock and I was like, is this Marvin? And he goes, this is Marvin. And I was like, hi, uh, I have a hit song, you know, and can I please meet with you? <laughs> and then that was kind of like once, once. And I remember like there was this woman, Lee Danae, she had signed like John Mayer and Sean Mullins and some other really cool artists. She was the VP of A&R at Columbia Records back then. And I, I called her for three months before I got a meeting with her. Um, there was two times in those three months where she tried to call me back um, and she would like leave me a voice message and say, you know, Jason, sorry, it took me a month to get back to you. I really appreciate your persistence. Give me a call back. And, and like the fact that she was calling back saying, I appreciate your persistence taught me that you can call these people like a lot. And, and I, what I, my rule was, I would always call people once a week. Cause I don't want to be too annoying, yep. but I would call like once a week and I would just not stop until I got somebody on the phone. Um, like, and so, and then I realized one, one last thing is I realized a very, very valuable lesson is uh, with Marvin or with Lee Danae in the beginning, because those were my very first two meetings I ever had at labels. Um, it took me three months to get a meeting with Lee Danae. After I met her, that, that first meeting with her, it lasted maybe 10, 15 minutes. I think I played one or two songs for her, which she didn't really love. And um, that was the end of the meeting. But I realized that an in-person connection created this connection that you could not get from calling people. And so I'll never forget, like once I met Lee Danae or once I met Marvin Peer. I would go email them like when I found something, someone else or wrote a new song and they would get back to me instantly. And if I wanted to meet with them, I was usually, I usually could get in somebody's office within a week or two of trying once I made that in-person connection. Um, so that, and that, that became like my goal was to meet A&Rs and um, through A&Rs, I started meeting higher level producers Cause I started realizing that they know all the producers and all the songwriters. So I started begging A&Rs to meet songwriters and producers. And then, um, and then through A&Rs also, I started meeting like, you know, some, some higher level artists, you know, some, some name artists, like, because in that beginning journey, like some of these bigger artists are also on the side, they're also songwriters or producers. And so there was a couple of like big name artists that I ended up getting connected with just because I was pursuing producers. Um, so th th that's kind of how that all happened. So, all right. So now you got your foot in the door and it's amazing that you're saying this because even today, I mean, that, you know, a very similar to my experience is I sometimes you just have to, if you have the confidence that you belong there, and you're persistent and being respectful about that persistence, you know, it may take some time. It may take, you know, weeks, months, or sometimes even years, but, you know, eventually, you know, 
something will hit and then somebody is going to give you that shot to come in. And you're right. It's like once you meet them in person, then they're going to, you know, once they get to know you, know you and know what you're all about, chances are they're going to respond back to you a lot quicker after that point. Yeah. And, and I also, I think most artists, they'll try to reach out to somebody maybe once, maybe twice. And you're not going to get a lot of responses that way, you know, um, especially if you don't know the person or you're not referred from somebody that's close to them. Um, but I, I've never, I don't know of a human being that if you constantly reached out to somebody, you're not eventually going to get them to return your message. You know, um, I mean, I, if somebody started messaging me once a week, I mean, it's, it's like, okay, this person is not going to relent. So I have to get on the phone with them or I have to email them back or, um, and, and I think most people that make it in this business, they appreciate somebody that's persistent because um, they, they know that's what it takes. And, yep. uh, and, and so few people are persistent that you actually really appreciate it when you find it. Absolutely. Because you also know, too, that if they're that eager to do something with you, that hopefully the idea is that their work ethic is going to be uh, great as well if you are going to end up working with them in some form or fashion. So that is the. Uh... That is an amazing point. Yeah. Right. And also, it's also about how you're, you're being persistent as well, because also I know that for most people on the other side, as long as you're being respectful, and that's the big point, is that as long as you're being respectful, that they probably feel guilty about ignoring you. It's just yeah. that they have so many other priorities that they have to knock off that unfortunately they just can't get back to you because, you know, let's face it, you're not a high priority at that point in time. So they don't know you, but they probably feel bad for the fact they keep on ignoring you. So if you keep on persisting and still being respectful for it, eventually at some point they're like, okay, you know what? This person's just been trying to hit me up for like two months now. Let me just respond back to them real quick. And they're going to, and now you are in the best position because now they feel they're, they're practically apologizing to you. And now they're yeah. showing you respect because you showed them respect. And, you know, it, you know, hopefully at that point it does lead into something, but again, you already are on the higher end of the conversation because you respected their time. You, but at the same token, you were, you know, you were constantly following up with them and checking in with them and that's showing how you work as a person. Yeah. And I also, uh, um, the respectful thing is amazing. It's truly amazing. And I think to add to that, you know, you can be very persistent and still be very loving towards people and, uh, and very, I would say like, you know, I've never had a pushy nature. I've met some people that are persistent and they are respectful, but they're almost a little pushy. You know, they just have a pushy vibe or a pushy sound in their voice or pushy attitude. And I've always tried to lead with a thankfulness so like, even if somebody's not responding to me, I've always tried to remain thankful, you know, um, and, and uh, loving towards whoever I'm reaching out to. And I think, it, you know, you can be really persistent. And as long as there's love and like you said, respect, and you're not being pushy and you kind of have a thankful nature behind it, um, there's really almost no one on earth that's not going to get back to you. Right. I mean, some things that I've always learned, for example, I mean, they're human as well. Like they, you have no idea what they're going through. They may be just, you know, most likely they're 
overly stressed because that's the nature of the job. Most of the time, if you're trying to really get their attention, they're not getting back to you. They're probably overly stressed. They probably have so many things on their plate right now. So I, what I try to do is, is try to almost be like I'm in, in service to them. So when I follow up with somebody, especially if it's like after the holidays, I'll be like, Hey, hope you had a relaxing holiday and you took a break from work. Just wanted to check in real quick and see how everything's going. Right. Like a very yeah. casual, just checking in. Uh, you get to the point and I swear, like, and you know, as well as I do, like the higher up you go, the, the shorter the emails get. And sometimes it's like this one, like, Hey, just want to check in real quick, see how everything's going. Pop all is well done. Like off it goes. And yeah. that, that's what I literally do for all my follow-ups. I have, um, uh, I use a program called pipe drive, which is a CRM, uh, lead software yeah. and literally yeah. just reminds me when I let, you know, I will literally say, okay, followed up with this person. And then it'll prompt me saying, when do you want to check in with them again? And sometimes it'll be like a week, two weeks, a month, three months, depending upon what it is. And this way yeah. it always reminds me when I need to reach out to somebody again and, and check in on them. That's amazing. But yeah, you're right. Like that's, you know, that, that persistence and, and also too, like you took the time to actually go through the CDs and find the record labels and find out and then call 411. I mean, these days, I mean, honestly, you could use LinkedIn. I'm, I'm giving yeah. a lot of my, a lot of my tricks away here, but like sure. use LinkedIn, you just literally type in uh, any record labels name and you'll have a whole bunch of people popping up. And then all of a sudden, you now know all the names for A&R. Yeah, it's true. It's you true. know? And then this way you can find, and believe me, there's w many ways of figuring out email addresses or even calling people up. And you're right. Like the, sometimes they're like, oh, who are you speaking, looking for? You just say the person's name. And they'll just transfer you across. They're not going to question it. hundred percent. So, all right. So now you're getting yourself in the door with all these different labels. At what point in time did you decide that, okay, this could be a business for myself. When did that come about? Um, I mean, it came, that all came in the first year, uh, because so right off the bat landed, you know, a song off of a record off of one phone call that I received. And then, um, it dawned upon me. I was like, I wonder if I should pitch anything else to him. And so I called him back. I said, can I send you other songs? And I sent maybe a handful of other songs I'd written and he picked two more and put place them on records so probably within somewhere in the neighborhood of 30 to 60 days i had three songs on records and then right around that time too another miracle happened and there was a girl that me and this guy that i recorded my song with that used it as an example we had written some songs really more for fun with this girl that was like a latin artist and she actually, well, she wasn't really a Latin artist. At the, she was Latin, but she, she was doing English stuff. Um, and then right around that time, you know, I don't know. It was like six months after we did that with her for fun. Uh, right as, as I'm landing these songs on records, we get a call from her that she was getting a record deal with a company called Wea Latina, which at the time, Wea was like Warner Brothers, Electric Records, and Atlantic Records combined. And Wea Latina was their Latin Spanish label based out of Miami. And so we get a call that the label like loved our demos, like loved the songs, 
and wanted us to do like half of her album. And so we got, I mean, it wasn't a lot of money back then, but we got paid, man, I think we got paid like $24,000 or something like that, which I know is nothing, but I think we did like five or six songs for 24 grand or something like that. And I, but back then we were like, dude, we just made $24,000, you know, from a record label. And, and then, um, you know, so that first year, I mean, we, we, we brought in like decent income, you know, so it was kind of like right off the bat, we realized, man, if we just keep grinding, if, if we don't take our foot off the gas, like we could probably figure this thing out, you know, and just keep, and keep trying to connect on things. So that that's, um, yeah, it was, it was pretty, it was pretty instant, you know, that, okay, this, this probably could work. So that was, if I understand correctly, that was probably around the time that both radar label and one one seven were being formed. Yes. So yeah. Did one, which one came first? Was it radar or one one seven that came about? It was, then? it was, it was one one seven because like, actually like the guy that, the the guy the keyboard player that was shopping um my song on it he was a pretty good writer and i don't know i can't really remember what triggered this idea i I really can't remember it was so long ago but i started looking at guys like him that i knew that were like shopping stuff and you know had been in a band and and I started saying to art, you know, writers like that or artists like that, I like, listen, I'm getting into labels. Like I'm, I'm bulldozing my way into labels with persistence. I'm meeting these A&Rs. Like I'm meeting with A&Rs a lot, pretty frequently. And why don't, why don't you sign publishing with me? You know, like, why don't I take a piece of your publishing? And when I'm getting into these meetings, I'll pitch your songs. And uh, all the people I was talking to at that time were like, dude, you'll pitch my songs for me. And uh, I was like, yeah. And so I, I started one with seven, mainly the idea behind it at the time, many, many years ago was to almost if for, for it to be a publishing company and um, to be open. I mean, I didn't have tons of success with that. Um, and then eventually years later, I started, through 117 managing record producers um, when I lived in LA and, and also developed artists through it. Um, but uh, and so that, but that came first and then radar was just um, that, that was actually two partners um, that I had. And, and those partners at the time were definitely uh, way more advanced than me. I mean, at the time when we came together, like I was definitely, the smaller of the three of, of, of us. And, um, uh, but they had a lot of experience on like signing bands and, and developing the bands, producing the bands, paying for those bands, you know, to, to get some recording or figuring out creative ways to not have them pay a lot of money. And then um, shopping those bands to labels, like as a, basically kind of like label production company kind of thing. Um, and 
yeah, so it was kind of 117 first, and then Radar label group came after that. So it's almost like, it, especially for Radar, is that you were prepping the artists ahead of time to to be appealing to labels, saying, okay, let's get, get let's get everything in order on your end so that this way we, because we know what they're looking for, so let's get everything put together the way we need it to be so this way it will be as appealing as possible for the larger labels. Yes, th- that was definitely the idea. But then along with that idea, their, their business model, which I was a part of, but their business model was to then own the band. Oh, interesting. Which, you know, over the years, like I have, you know, I would say much more in recent years, I've shied away from that idea. Um, I don't personally, I don't love the idea of owning somebody's name or a band or whatever. Um, but that, that, that was the business model. So that's interesting that we're going to go down some tangents now. Um, so uh, what is your feelings overall about ownership, especially as, as representation, um, not even just about a band name, uh, itself, but you know, even, uh, as much as the master recordings, like what, what are your thoughts on that as far, you know, especially in today's, uh, music industry? Um, I mean, I, I, I think I'm fine with it. I think as long as. I mean, for me, more than anything else, this might be a little vague. I'll try to make it not vague, but That's I think okay. for me, I think for me, more than anything else, it's about the relationship with with the artist. Um, one of the things I saw, you know, over the years with Radar, was the band would, you know, the the few artists that ended up having a lot of success would always turn around and kind of resent their deal um and not like the deal that they were in and i i just that part of it i i really disliked um so like like right now like like there's an artist you know i who i adore he's like family but developed him and now manage him and i've worked with him for seven and a half years but there's an artist named austin french um, who I met off of one of these singing competition shows. Um, he was on a TV show called Rising Star in 2014. But it's basically me, two investors. One of those investors is a friend of mine. One of the investors is a friend of Austin's and Austin. So it's like four of us. And we kind of went in together and formed a label around Austin. And you know, we ended up getting a deal with a label through Sony and the deal is like 55% of the income off the streaming and, you know, album sales and whatever, uh, 55% of whatever the record label makes goes to us and 45% goes to the label. And what we do is we fund the, the making of the record um, and, the, and then the label funds the promotion of it. Um, and so, you know, I, I'm kind of in a deal like that now, but it's a, it's a very different situation because the artist, which I love, has a small part of the ownership of it. And it's not like the, the artist has been kind of kicked out and we're businessmen smoking cigars and they're the artist. It's like the artist is actually like Austin's actually a partner with us in his own label. So like that, that setup i love because it's to me it's very relational and it's kind of set up to have like long-term relationship um so i don't know if that answers that it does and i'm glad that you mentioned that because especially right now i feel that 
there are a lot of conversations are coming around the stigma of, of ownership. And there's a lot of advice out there that you should never give up ownership of your music itself. And, you know, the thing is that that creative work, your music is what's the value. And mm -hmm. if you are looking for others to invest into you, whether it's an investment of money, investment of time and resources or all the above, that is your value. So I always like to use this, this uh, analogy of, of Shark Tank. That's like one of the sharks on Shark Tank saying, yeah, I want to invest, you know, $100,000 into your business, but I uh, just pay me back whenever, right? right. <laughs> it doesn't, right. doesn't work that way. And, right. and again, like, it's not to necessarily say that you should always look into giving up your ownership. I think, like you said, is that really just depends upon that relationship that you have with, with that you know, with the other people, with the representation and whether, you know, giving away some of your ownership is going to be worth what they're, you're going to get a return from it is the always the way I always look at that. But yeah, I agree. You know, every, everyone's, every, you know, that's the thing too. Everyone's different. Everyone's going to have different comfortability levels of what they're willing to give up and what they're not willing to give up. And that's, that's totally fine too. I think it's more important, like you said, is to, is kind of have that, Evolvement and trust, especially if you're a business partner, there's a lot of trust that goes along with that. Yes. Yeah, for sure. So, okay. I'm um, going back on track now. So, um, no, that's actually great because I do want to, you know, cause also the other thing that you mentioned is that you've a number of your ventures had a, num a number of partners with that. And I do want to go back to, to trust for a second is that, you know, you have to have an immense amount of trust with the other person to to partner in a venture. So, can you talk more about you keep on building on those relationships and and making sure that you have a healthy relationship with these partners as you continue? Yeah, I mean, over twenty three years, I've had partnerships that fell apart, ended badly. You know, I've kind of been through it all, and then I've had partnerships where, you know things ended amicably or, you know, so, um, you know, it's, it's always my deepest desire. I, I'm very much, I, I'm very much a relationship person, first person. Like I care way more about relationship than money, um, way more. And so, uh, it's not even close. So, you know, for me, I, I, I want my relationships to be good no matter what. Um, I don't care if I lose a lot of money as long as the relationship is there. Um, but most people, most people don't operate that way. Um, so, you know, most people it's money first relationship second. Um, so, you know, I've kind of had every kind of situation you could imagine. So. I, and I, I do agree with you. I'm, I'm the exact same way. I'm a big believer in relationship first and money second. And the irony is I think that actually you're better off personally, if you're yeah. looking at it that way, because you, even if you're losing money, that's just a, a short term loss. Yeah. Relationships are, are long-term and you never know what those relationships are going to bring you in the future. And I've had that happen many times where I let a, let something go, whether it was the right to, you know, whether it was right or not to let it go, I decided it was not worth fighting over. And yep. that has returned back in my favor in many times tenfold, whether, yeah. you know, with the exact same person. 
Yes, me too. So, you know, I, I mean, for me, I mean, everybody's different, but, um, you know, I've always tried to be very open-handed when it comes to financial things and, and uh, not let that define, you know, how I view people or treat people or, you know, so, and that, and that's definitely um, been a really big blessing for me over the years. So while we're on the subject of, of uh, partnerships, another type of, I, I don't want to use the word partnership because it's technically not a partnership, but representing artists. And there, there is a partnership on a personal level. Yeah, I'll put it that way because because that's it's, the thing. It's, it's, it's kind of like almost like a, mar- a business marriage. It is a bar- business marriage, and that's the thing that I tell when artists are looking for how well how do I get representation? And I say, well, find find smaller ways of working with them because them representing you is like getting married. And yeah. so it's like literally just going up to somebody at the bar and then saying, "Hey, do you want to get hitched?" It's like, yeah. well, hold, hold hold on a second, what's let's find out like if we work together well before we get into something like this kind of a commitment. And that's always why I tell them, find something, something smaller you can do together. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when I, when I manage artists, I mean, it's, it's definitely, it could be at moments like you're living, breathing, eating, sleeping, you know, thinking of this other person and um, you know, to me, great management is, communicating with an artist almost every day um you know like there's a lot of artists i talk to that are on labels and they're like yeah me and my manager have a once a week talk you know and i'm like i mean and that's fine and, and it works for them uh where they just download everything once a week um but most of the bigger artists i know like there is a lot of constant communication between management and artists and you know, generally it's a daily thing. So it's like, you're, you're talking all throughout the day. I mean, I, I have a manager, an artist I manage right now that we talked, I don't know, probably four times on the phone today, you know, just today, you know, and they, they were all quick calls, but you know, five minutes here, 10 minutes there, navigating through a situation together. Um, so it's, 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 it's all in when, when you're a manager working with an artist. Oh, absolutely. And it also depends to what they have, what they're up to. Sometimes, uh, you know, for example, uh, like sometimes I'm talking to artists every single day, like you said, and mm-hmm. sometimes I'm, um, you know, k- taking a step back because I know that either they're going through something in their lives and I'm like, okay, I'm going to pump the brakes a little bit and like give them their space to kind of figure things out and give them time on things until they're ready to ramp back things back up again. But I would always check in with them, just seeing what they're up to and how they're doing. But yeah, it's, you know, it is that it's important not to have clear communication, but also consistent communication as well with the artist so that they know that you are still thinking about them and that, you know, that you are, you know, still rooting for them essentially. Yeah. 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 I I think, you know, like, like, uh, like us all, I mean, I think an artist wants to know that they're cared about. Yeah, absolutely. And also the other thing too is, is, uh, especially when it comes to management is those setting those expectations as well, I think is also extremely important. Yeah. So um, I did want to ask you on this, on the subject is uh, of course, besides um, managing uh, partnerships, but also managing artists as well. What are some of the uh, biggest challenges that you faced uh, working with artists? Um. 
I think that the biggest tension for me, and this, this is just my personal angle on it. I'm sure everybody's got a different angle. But I think, you know, th- there's this healthy balance, maybe tension between, you know, and obviously I only manage artists that are assigned to labels, but, you know, the, the record label machine you know, has to be putting out product and, you know, trying to hold off a record label to not just have your artist be thrown against the wall, like another, another, uh, you know, just part of their release schedule that they have to be on. Um, so this tension of like getting the right songs, um, the quality control of it all, not moving too fast, you know, where you look back and realize like, wow, you know, that, that album could have been produced better or that, that, that song, like we missed a lyrical change or, you know, we, we, we could have gotten, you know, whatever it was, we could have nailed it better and we missed it because I I've had songs that I knew and I know today could have been massive hits and me and the record label and the artist and the producer and everybody involved, the writers, everybody missed like some key lyrical changes or missed the production of the song. And it just just didn't have the kind of impact that it should have had. Um, and so those are, to me, very painful moments that I look back on and that I don't want to repeat. And so and I've learned that, you know, when you're on a label things tend to move at a fairly quick pace. And so it's like slowing down the label while honoring that they have a job to do and they have to, they have to put out things, but also, you know, trying to encourage your artist to dig deep within the well, you know, and, and be willing to write a lot of songs and, and not just settle. And, you know, if, if the label gets excited and the artist gets excited not to get swept away in that excitement, you know, cause I've had situations where a, a, a label gets excited over a new song that's written. The artist is excited and everybody immediately is looking at me like, what do you think? You know, like, and it's like, there's this pressure to love it. Um, and, and sometimes the song is wrong, you know, sometimes it's not the right song. And, and so um, I think just the balance of getting great songs, competitive songs, um, songs that, you know, give you a better chance to not fail and a better chance to succeed. And, but, but the, the, you know, being in, involved with a machine that has to pump out a certain amount of releases, you know, a quarter or a year or whatever. And um, then, then, you know, as the artist grows, you know, and the artist, you know, maybe the artist eventually has a family or, you know, they have more response. Now they have kids at home and, you know, it's harder to get artists to write as their life gets more, you know, complicated. So just the, the continuing of a career, you know, that, that making that first album special is hard and then continuing it is hard because of all the, the push and pull of like the artist is busy. The artist is touring. The artist has a couple of young kids at home. Um, the label is, you know, not going to wait forever um to try to release something so i think that that that's it's a challenge i enjoy 
but, but, but I think that that's always been for me going into it, you know, the biggest challenge of any record cycle or um, when an artist first gets a deal. I'm glad that you mentioned that too, because it's a very delicate balance to having patience yet at the same token moving forward. Yeah. I think that's the the balance really for all of us. And especially with representation is that when is it time to let the artists do what they need to do in their lives? And when is it time to kind of like, you know, give them a little kick (laughs) to get things moving because you're right. Is that not everyone's going to wait around forever, but the same token too, is that these, all these things take time. It takes time to, to write good music. It takes time to find the right song. It takes time to produce it. Well, it, like all these things take time and it takes time to, pr- to promote it. Mm-hmm. And so that's the other thing too, is, is having that, that patience of that. This is a, a long process that you have to go through, but you still have to go through the process. Yep. For sure. Wow. That's so I guess to sum all this up here uh, for anybody, especially these days getting started, um, I think maybe I'm going to actually X this in, um, in two parts, if you don't mind. Um, So part one is for getting started as an artist and looking to get to the point of represent, you know, being uh, valid for not valid. I want to say valid, but to the point where you're appealing to representation or you wanting, you know, having representation essentially come to you. Uh, what would your advice be, especially these days for that artist? And then same question, but as a manager, what are the first steps that you would do these days to manage an artist? Uh, so the first is like, how does an artist get some attention maybe from a manager? Or, exactly. Know? Like, like I, for I mean, example, if, if yeah. I'm an artist right now and I'm looking to, you know, get some sort of representation from a manager or label or something like that, what would, what would your, what would be the first step that you would do that you would recommend to them? Um, I mean, I'm a music purist, so for me, you know, I grew up in the eighties where there were so many massively identifiable voices on the radio. So, I mean, if I was an artist, I would be working really, I'd be very focused on my vocals. Um, I, you know, I, I would consider myself, well, Hey, if I boil it down, really like what am i you know i'm a singer okay well if you're a singer like i would try to be the single greatest singer that you could possibly ever be with your ability and so i think the 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 more you can focus on your craft of singing that's that's a start you know and then i think after that you branch off to songwriting and and um how often are you writing um, how often are you performing in your local area? You know, I mean, I think most aspiring artists should be performing at least two to four times a month. Um, even if it's small stuff. Um, and I think, you know, artists should be writing songs. I think artists should be coming up with, you know, concept ideas for songs and titles and, and just constantly being creative and, um, um and and then i think also too you know how do you present yourself on socials um i've seen i've had artists that i've known where you know everything they post i'm like that's terrible you know like it doesn't look good it doesn't feel good it doesn't sound good and then all of a sudden they'll do one post 
that they nail. And all of a sudden I feel like much more of a believer, you know, and, and it could just be like them in a stairwell with an acoustic guitar singing a certain song, but I actually felt the emotion or, you know, it, it, it just feels like, wow, like they feel like they're a real artist in this. And it gives me that glimmer of hope of like, well, if they could do this in one video, they could do this in all their videos. Like we could expound upon this. So I think, you know, focusing on you know vocals and this is just my opinion i'm not saying that this is right but for me it, i'm like vocals first um you know songwriting second you know performing on stage probably third um and then uh you know how you present yourself on social media and how you dress what does your hair look like what what is your name you know, um, all the microscopic details of how you're visually and, you know, being presented to people, I think are really important. Um, and I think the more compelling or more stronger those, all those areas are, the more you're going, going to attract people. I would definitely have to agree with that. What about for uh, those who are looking to get into management and to representing artists? What would you recommend their first step to be there? Um, well, if you start like me, you know, just be as clueless as possible. Um, <laughs> and I, I would say, um, man, I, I think finding things to pitch to people in the business, you know, whether it's find it, find a good singer, you know, or, um, find somebody who could produce songs. You know, find somebody who's a good songwriter, F find somebody. My, my goal as a manager, when I, when I, once the, once the, I figured out that I was a manager, my motto became, I am going to search and try to find people that are more talented than me. So I think if you're a manager, there's a reason why God made me a manager there's a reason why God did not make me the singer. I, I used to sing. There's a reason why I'm no longer the singer. Well, I think it's because I'm not very good at it. Um, and I think that this is actually the management is what I was supposed to be doing. Um, and God used those other areas of my life to prepare me to be, you know, more well-rounded. But um, I think if you want to be in management, I think the ultimate goal is musically find people that are more talented than you. And, um, and I think, you know, on the way up, try to love people really well, you know, and, and, and come to people with a servant heart, you know, always be looking for ways to serve people and love people and care about them and really actually care about them first. And I think, you know, God, God will take care of the rest. And I, I also used to wake up every day. And, um, when, I, when, when this was growing over the years, I would always kind of say to myself, like, you know, I, I can't build a city overnight. Like I can't build a career overnight, but I can lay one brick a day perfectly. And so I think, you know, my, my drive was always, you know, okay, I have another day. I have to accomplish something towards my dream today. And uh, I'm not going to bed tonight unless I've done something that 
gets me closer to that goal or dream or, or, you know, vision I have. So I think um, being really loving, but aggressive about it. I think being willing to work long hours, being willing to be persistent, being willing to network. Uh, you have to network like crazy. For many, many years, I tried to push every relationship as far as I could to meet anybody I could through that relationship. Um, I actually, before I got on with you, I was talking to a vocal coach who's a pretty well-known vocal coach. And I was asking him if he knew other vocal coaches and he actually referred me to another vocal coach. So, wow. you know, so, um, I, I did it right before I got on this podcast with you. Um, so I, I did it a lot more back in the day cause I didn't, I knew nobody back then, but, um, so I, I think those are all tools. And, and I would also say too, for me personally, this is just a personal thing, but I also think, you know, for me, prayer has been a really big thing because as I've, one thing I've noticed is I used to never pray about anything and I would always meet people. And I'm sure this is probably different for you, but this was just what happened in my life. I would meet people and I would kind of get two steps ahead. And then I would realize like this person that I met wasn't a very nice person or they didn't have character or they didn't have integrity or they, they, they weren't like a really good person. And I would then take a step back. And, um, and it was like that for many years for me. And uh, once I started, you know, probably somewhere in the neighborhood of, I'm kind of winging this, but maybe 10 years ago or a little bit more, I started praying um, just for like, the right people in my life, like for, for the right doors to open. And, um, the relationships have become much more consistent. Um, and, and there hasn't really been these like huge leaps forwards and step back or, you know, I didn't, I didn't see this person's character and I got, you know, hit by a truck by them. You know, I got blindsided by somebody. Um, so it's been, I, I feel like things have been a lot more consistent since I started doing that as well. Also too, I feel that once you start surrounding yourself with good people, good people tend to gravitate towards other good people as well. So once you find those great people in your life, those people are going to bring more of that, of that same like-mindedness to you. That, that is like, so absolutely ridiculously, amazingly true. Um, I, I will say this though, for me, years ago and and this is a sad statement to make but i do know there's other people out there like this i couldn't recognize who was good or who wasn't and I, I was watching an interview recently with justin bieber and he actually said he's like you know when my career first started i could not discern who was good for me to be around and who wasn't good for me to be around and so for me, like it took me many years for my discernment to grow for people. Um, you probably were like five steps ahead of me when I first started. Uh, but for me, like I didn't know what was good or what wasn't good just due to my upbringing. You know, some of the stuff I went through with my father really kind of held me back. Not anymore, but when I first started, because I didn't really like know a lot of good when I first got into the business. And so when I would see things that weren't good, I didn't even recognize it as that's not very good. 
Um, so I, I th- th- that for me is at least where that, that, that prayer element has really helped. Um, and obviously getting older and getting wiser over the years, but, um, so anyway, experience definitely helps. I mean, sure. I'm the kind of person that I guess sometimes to a fault is overly trusting and, you know, sometimes that, that has burned me because I would be overly trusting on the person that didn't necessarily deserve that trust. But at the same token too, I feel that despite that, I'd rather be, I'd rather be a little bit over trusting than too under trusting because then it's harder to discern than the people from the, you know, that are truly good and not giving them a chance to, sh- to show that they are good people. So, right. and th- so I tend to kind of go to that, to that area, but honestly, I think it just comes down to experience to be perfectly honest. I think all of yeah. us naturally are going to want to trust people in the industry and it's hard to, to see those signs of, okay, that's something's not necessarily right there. And that just comes from, from experience over time and just knowing, okay, yeah, that kind of type of personality I don't work well with. So I need to necessarily, I need to keep my space with the people that have that kind of a personality. That's good. Wow. Well, thank you so much, Jason. I really do appreciate your time. And uh, this was absolutely fantastic. So thank you so much for being on the podcast. I really do appreciate it. Yeah. And thanks for having me on. My pleasure. Real quick, before I let you all go, I want to take the opportunity to really appreciate the fact of all of you listening to the podcast. I've been honestly looking for ways on how to improve the show moving forward. So if you have any ideas or suggestions on what else we can do that you would like to hear or any other ways that we can engage with you, I would love to hear about it. So whenever you have a chance, you can email me. My personal email address is Mike, that's M-I-K-E, at 8020records.com. Or you can engage with us on any of our social media and just at 8020records on Instagram, Facebook, whatever the case is. Just shoot us a DM. Let us know what you guys are thinking about the uh, the whole show in general. And uh, really do appreciate it. So thank you again so much for all of you listening. It means the world to me. Thank you so much for listening to the 8020 show. If you haven't already, please subscribe or follow. If you enjoyed the episode or this podcast overall, please leave us a review or comment on our socials, which you can find us at 8020records on pretty much all platforms. You can also check us out on our website at www.8020records.com. And as always, be happy, be healthy, and be productive.